Well, tonight, in uh, Brother Randy's absence, I'm going to be speaking. Um, I'm going to talk tonight about the hope of Christmas. And to my Sunday school class, if this sounds familiar, well, it is. Sorry. Uh, it's going to be a, a redux of that, but uh, I think it's a very pertinent message and one that we can share again tonight. So, um, I want to ask you to start with, what is your favorite thing about Christmas? I wonder, do any of you boys and girls, do you have a, a list made of things that you want and things you need? Have you got one of those lists? I know that's, as a kid, that was always my thing. But as I get older, it's more the the traditions that we, we have at Christmas or the uh, thinking back to years past. And, and sometimes it can be a little painful because we remember those that aren't with us anymore that we had traditions with for many years, but you know, we have to keep, keep going on. Uh, sometimes Christmas can be sad, but that's not what we're going to focus on tonight. We're going to talk about the hope and, and the great things about it. Um, maybe the decorations and the, the lights and maybe even the food. Maybe that's something that you think of at Christmas. I know that's when all the, the good candy and stuff gets made and the cookies and things, so I, I enjoy that a little too much. But regardless of what our favorite things are about Christmas, what we enjoy the most, or, or this or that, I think we can all agree that there's a certain degree of joy and hope that goes along with the season. So I guess my second question would be, not only is what is your favorite thing about Christmas, but what do you hope for? Now I was talking to the kids about their uh, Christmas lists. Did you ever have maybe adults as you were growing up? Was there something you put on a list that you didn't receive? I'm sure there's, there's many. Uh, I know a few years that I had lists such that if I had received everything on it, we would have had to add on to the house. So I know that that, that can be somewhat of a disappointment, but still you're always uh, thankful and happy with, with what you have received. But when we think of that kind of hope, you know, I hope that I'll get this or hope that, that's really no more than, than wishful thinking. And there's so much more to Christmas and our Savior being born than just wishful thinking. Uh, biblically, our hope is confident expectation of what is to come based on the character and promises of God. That's the kind of hope that we need to have at Christmas. And one of his greatest promises is that promise of Christmas, the promise of a Savior who is the hope of Christmas. So I know this is kind of an odd place to be speaking of the Christmas account, but if you want to turn with me, let's begin in Genesis chapter 3. That's 
a few years before Jesus was born, but we'll see how this ties together with the birth of Jesus. In Genesis chapter 3, if you found your way there, beginning in verse 14, it says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now you may be wondering, what does this have to do with Christmas? Well, we see here first off that Adam and Eve sinned, And because of that sin, God pronounced a curse on mankind, on the serpent, and on all of creation. But in verse 15, we see God turn his attention from the physical serpent in the garden to the spiritual serpent, Satan, the one who deceived Eve. And he said that, her offspring, the seed of the woman, would one day crush the head of Satan. Now this is the first promise in all of Scripture that we have of a coming Savior. Adam and Eve still in the garden before they had children, before any other humans were born on the earth, the gospel was preached to the first man and woman speaking of Jesus who would one day be born on what we celebrate as Christmas. Now we see Satan was successful. He brought sin upon the human race. We're still under that curse today. Every person that is born today, with the exception of Jesus Christ, is born into sin. And later we would see that Satan would be successful in what Scripture calls bruising the heel of the seed of the woman who is the Savior. Once Jesus was born, He was rejected by His people, even from the night of His birth. Um, even then, it was, it was a rejection. They had no room for Him anywhere. Later in His life, He was beaten, He was scorned, He was mocked. He was crucified on the cross and buried in a borrowed grave. And, you know, that really sounds like a lot more of a, more than a bruise to me than it, you know, to be crucified and, and buried. But to the Son of God, what is death? 
He would rise in three days. This was no more than a bruise on the hill. A mere three days in the grave for one who knew he would rise again. Satan was not successful in thwarting God's plan of redemption. And then throughout Scripture, God continued to renew His promise. He made that promise to Adam and Eve. Then He told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they would all be fathers of great nations through each one of them, that they would have countless offspring. And then one of those offspring would be this Messiah, this Savior who would bless the entire world. It says through all nations, through, through Abraham, all nations would be blessed. And then when you go on down from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the next generation, we have Judah, who is the tribe that Jesus was born into, the tribe of Judah. And then on down in Judah's line, you have King David, who was promised that uh, his line would bring forth a king who would reign eternally, uh, even though Israel saw their kingdom divided and ultimately fall, they had a king and have a king who reigns eternally. Uh, during the period of exile after the uh, kingdom fell, both kingdoms fell, they went into exile, and the prophets during exile and after the exile, they continued tell this promise of a Savior. And that becomes our hope for Christmas, the fulfillment of all these prophecies. From the time of Adam, God promised a Savior. As time went on through Scripture, God continued to reveal through His prophets more and more about the coming Messiah to His people, so that when He arrived that they could recognize Him. However, we read in Scripture that many failed at that, uh, especially the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees, those religious leaders who, who knew the Scripture more than anybody, were the ones who recognized Him the least. Only a few like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea uh, would really recognize him that we know of. Uh, but it was prophesied as well that there would be many that would reject him and, and not recognize him. But according to the scripture and the prophecies, the Savior was born of a virgin in Bethlehem, just as God said he would. And just as God said he would, Jesus lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death and bodily rose from the grave and ascended back into heaven. So this promise was fulfilled. God said, there will be one coming who will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So what does that mean for us today? I mean, this has been 2,000 some odd years ago now. Um, they look forward to his coming for probably... 4,000 years, and then he came, and now we're 2,000 years departed from that. So what does all this ancient history have to do with us? Well, if you'd like to turn with me to Romans chapter 8, we will we'll see what that promise has for us. 
In Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. When Paul is comparing our future sufferings of this present time with the glory which will be revealed in us, he says there's no comparison. He says they're not worth being compared. It's so apples to oranges that it's not even apples to oranges. We are awaiting as Christians, those who are saved, we are awaiting our adoption as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And as a brother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and co-heir with Him, and awaiting the redemption of our bodies. Does anybody's body ever hurt? Does it ever ache? Do you sometimes have to get parts replaced? You know, that happens. That's our fallen bodies. But one day they will be made right again. In verse 23 of this, Paul speaks of our redemption in the future tense. But then in verse 30, he speaks of our glorification in the past tense, as if it has already happened. See, if you don't get anything else tonight, I hope you get this, that God's promises are so certain, it's as if they have already happened. They're so certain, it's as if they've already happened. I call this the mystery of the already but not yet. You see, we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved, those who are Christians. We are currently saved. If something happens to us right now, those who are Christians will find their home in heaven. But those that remain, as we go from day to day, being made more in the likeness of Christ, we are being saved. And then someday when we either cross into death or the Lord comes back for us, we will finally, greatly at the end, be saved completely. Already, but not yet. Our hope is the confident expectation of the fulfillment of what God has promised and purposed. You know, I asked my class this morning if any of them had ever broken a promise. And uh, nobody admitted to any, but uh, all the responses were that, yeah, we've all broken promises. Um, that's, 
that's where we got to talk about as being a parent, we always have the cop out of, well, we'll see. We don't have to say, yes, we will or we won't. We can say, well, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. So how do we know that God won't break his promise between now and when we die or when he comes back? Well, in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 11, it says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit has sealed the saved until the day of redemption. You know, we can seal an envelope and put it in the mail and somebody on the other end is going to open it. Or sometimes in between some nefarious person can get it and open it before it gets where it's supposed to be. But when the Holy Spirit seals us, is there anything that can unseal us? Is there any sin or any circumstance, anything at all that can break that seal? No, I'm seeing a lot of heads shaking. No, there's nothing. God says once we're in his hand, nothing can take us from his grasp. That the Holy Spirit has sealed us. When we receive that promise when we first believe, when we're first saved, that we receive that promise. But the promised possession will be at some point in the future, and we will receive it, as Paul writes here, to the praise of God's glory. It's going to all be to his glory, and God is going to be glorified. So his ways will not be thwarted. Uh, if we say anything, we'll... Yeah, it says the Holy Spirit will seal us, but, you know, some people teach, well, we can fall from grace or we can, we can do this or that and lose our salvation. Friends, that's giving an awful lot of credit to the enemy, isn't it? To say that there's something strong enough to break the sealing, the bond of our salvation. Satan's not that strong. He's pretty tough old bird, but he's not that strong. He can't snatch us out of the Father's hand. We are His. Once we are His, we are His regardless. And just as the Old Testament saints, they awaited the first coming of Jesus. We as Christians today await His second coming. They awaited that first coming, their Messiah who would come and they thought in their minds to deliver them from Rome, to deliver them from oppression. But he came to live a perfect life and to be a sacrifice for our sins. And now, on this side of the cross, we're awaiting that day when the promise is completely fulfilled and everything's made right. No more weeping, no more tears, no more separation, no more aches, no more pains. It'll all be made right. It's even going to take care of the flu and COVID. Did you know that? 
There's nothing about flu and COVID where we read in Revelation about heaven. It's gone. That's our hope of Christmas. Man sinned. God promised a Savior. The Savior came and completed His work in order that we may be redeemed. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit until either the day we die or Jesus returns. And the promise will then be fulfilled at all things. Not some things, not a few things. All things will be made right. And because of this promise, as Paul wrote, wrote in Romans, what we face day to day, the sufferings, it's nothing compared to what awaits us. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what awaits us. The Apostle John tried to record it the best he could in Revelation, and I believe he was just so overwhelmed by the images is one reason Revelation is so hard to read and understand. He couldn't describe what he saw. It's an amazing inheritance, an amazing promise that we have awaiting us. According to Titus chapter 2, in the meantime, we are to live righteously, to renounce ungodliness and live a godly life. You know, we could say, well, we're saved, we're good, we don't, we're all right. Should we sin so that grace abound? No, we shouldn't. We should be living godly lives, doing our best to live for Him and tell others about this promise. That's what it's about. And if there were to be anyone here tonight, I know we're, you know, Sunday night folk, we're generally... Uh, all Christian that come here together, but I don't know who may be listening by radio, who may be watching on the internet. I can't presume to know the hearts of anyone here. But I want you to know that that promise is still being offered today. It was a promise that was made, and it's a promise that's still open until either death or the Lord's return that promise is available. If you've never turned from your sin and trusted Jesus as Savior, God's promise is still good. It's not run out. You can receive the hope that we've talked about tonight and be sealed for eternity. But there's also another promise. He also promised that those who reject Him would spend eternity in hell. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. I think it was a place worthy of talking about to warn others of. You don't hear a lot of that in popular preaching today. I'm thankful to be unpopular. You can take that however you want to. I'm not afraid to talk about it, but I'm afraid to see people go there. All of his promises he will keep. My question to you tonight is, which promise will you accept? Pray with me. Our God and our Father, it's so amazing to, to think that what you have done for us, sinful, 
wretched creatures that we are. That one simple command you gave Adam and Eve in the garden, that they couldn't even hold of that and plunge the entire race, the entire creation into groaning for things being made right. We know in our hearts that, God, we were made for more than what this world has to offer. You intended so much more for us, but because of sin, we are having to live in a fallen world. But God, we're thankful for your promise, all of your promises, and that you have kept every one of them. You kept your promise to send Jesus, one to be born of a woman, born under the law, that he might live and be the perfect Lamb of God in atoning sacrifice for us to do what we could not do ourselves. I pray tonight that we would realize and meditate on the gravity of that, that it was nothing we could do of our own, but only through Christ. I pray that if there's anyone that's here tonight or listening or watching or may listen to or watch this by replay in the future that is living without hope. God, I pray that you would convict their hearts of their sin and that they would trust Jesus as Savior before it's everlasting too late. Father, I pray now for this invitation. This is your time and we give it to you now. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.